Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network in Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton and today I'm in conversation with Australian aviation journalist Jordan Chong. Today we're talking about how the expectations and realities of Qantas's Project Sunrise are stacking up. But first, thanks to our sponsor. In Conversation is brought to you by Bolteron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. With new and groundbreaking innovations in design capabilities, Bolteron offers airlines the ability to customise the cabin with lightweight materials with metallic effects, translucent decorative panels with unique embedded patterns, dynamic textures, vibrant pearlescence, and much more. Learn more at boltaron.com. Now, Jordan, welcome to In Conversation. Thanks, John. Lovely to be with you again. Great to have you. So, let's start off. What is Project Sunrise? Well, it's the name Qantas has given to their project, their research into whether they should fly non-stop from Australia's east coast to the US east coast, New York, for example, or to Europe, London, for example. Um, they've called it Project Sunrise because they want to give a bit of recognition to those flights back in the back in the day when the flights took so long that you saw the double sunrise between Australia and Europe. Um, so that's the plan that was launched two years ago. We're getting very close to the pointy end of their decision-making process. And um, if they choose to go ahead, the flights will start in 2023. That's what Qantas has told, um, said publicly. Mm-hmm. So, Qantas already flies to Europe, of course, from the West Coast, from Perth. Um, and that's using a 7879, which is their stock standard 7879. Um, how far east are they going currently from the uh, Australian East Coast? Well, they're, they're hoping to, to fly from Sydney or Melbourne to um, London and New York and, and other places. But obviously, these two cities have the greatest amount of traffic. And so that's the, the focus at the moment. So... Um, Sydney to uh, London um, and Sydney to New York. The 787-9 um, is not enough aeroplane to, to, to do those missions. And so they're looking at a potential new aeroplane for, for those flights. Right. Because Qantas's New York strategy at the moment is one of its planes continues on from LA to New York, picks up passengers there and brings them back via LA. Yeah. So it's a one-stop proposition. And, and um, you know, you either fly a Qantas plane all the way through from Australia to New York by Los Angeles, or you fly to one of American's hubs on a Qantas airplane and then transfer onto an American Airlines um, service. Right. Dallas, Fort Worth, for example, where they've yeah. got that A380. So I guess fundamentally, what's, what does Qantas really want out of this? Does it want the uh, ultra high yielding traffic? Does it want the cachet of doing so? What's its, what's its real game plan here? I think... When you look at the traffic, clearly um, the flights will be have to be supported by strong corporate and business and um, high value leisure travelers, you know, willing to pay those big dollars to fly in first business and, and premium economy um, to, to make the economics work. Um, however, Qantas has talked about having a four cabin aircraft. So, you know, clearly they, they don't want to, I guess, give away too much traffic to either one-stop options or other airlines offering one-stop options. Um, is that achievable? Is Qantas being maybe a bit greedy in wanting to capture all segments of the market to 
ensure the the economics of the flat. I mean, perhaps because you, you know they're they're dealing with um, lots of operational challenges. Um, an aeroplane to fly that distance needs a lot of fuel, and a lot of fuel means it's a lot of weight, and so you're somewhat limited in what you can do in the cabin. So I I think yes, definitely high value passengers, people willing to pay a premium. Qantas has talked recently about how their analysis shows that people are paying about a 30% premium to fly non-stop between Perth and London compared with you know a one-stop option and they're looking to achieve a similar premium for those ultra long haul missions from the east coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if they can do that, I mean that makes all the financial sense in the world of course. Um what I find interesting is that Air New Zealand just recently announced that they'll be ending London service, which they used to, well, they currently fly uh, one stop through LA, and instead going non-stop to New York from Auckland um, with their existing aircraft. Um, what, what's your take on that? What's, what, what does that mean for Air New Zealand and indeed for Qantas? Well, I think Air New Zealand has um, been looking to bulk up its North America or the Americas network. You know, I think we've seen Houston, Chicago... Um, launched in previous years, in addition to existing service to Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Vancouver. So I think the the broader that network is in North America, um, the more they can influence or convince, you know, Australians and South Pacific Islanders to fly one stop via Auckland to the United States, um, and you know the. New Zealand has been very aggressive in trying to attract Australians, saying to Australians, well, if you want to fly to these major centres in North America, fly one stop over Auckland, wide body to wide body service, international connections at Auckland um, versus, you know, a connection at Los Angeles or Dallas or San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they've been able to get the traffic that they wanted and I think the New York is just a latest extension of that. But then on the other side too, I think New York is a very important source market and convincing um, North Americans that New Zealand is only a flight away is, I think, um, a big focus for them. And to tell, to tell someone who lives in, in Brooklyn that, you know, you're only one flight away from the delights of New Zealand I think is helping them make that route a success as well. It's one of the ingredients anyway. Yeah. And I mean, especially connecting through LAX or indeed any of the US hubs is such an inferior experience to um, to passengers on either any uh, Zealand or Qantas. Um, you know, certainly the US airlines haven't been as, as PAXX positive um, for quite some time as, 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 as long-haul aircraft are. Um, for, uh, operated by either of the two South Pacific carriers. Um, I guess the, the, the interesting question at this point is that once Air New Zealand can offer that better than American passenger experience, how much of Project Sunrise does that take a bite out of? Um, Qantas was asked about this at a recent Investor Day, and they seem to think that it doesn't really affect their evaluation. I think that they're, they're, they're saying that, well, you know, Auckland, New Zealand, Auckland, New York is one stop for an Australian origin passenger. We're offering non-stop. So I think, um, you know, it's no surprise to, to see 
Qantas sort of um, being quite strong on, on their proposition. Um, but if the it all comes down to the fares, I guess. If, if Air New Zealand continues to offer attractive fares to North America, um, will a person be willing to, you know, fly a little bit cheaper while making a stop through Auckland? Um, you can do all the analysis you want, but I think ultimately, you know, once the flights start and once we get an idea as to what the bookings have been like, um, then then we'll get a better gauge on it. Yeah, yeah but, but I don't think it makes or breaks the Qantas case. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see all the, the parts that do make up that Qantas case, right? And, and um, if you can offer a, a connection that is not in LA or that is not in Dallas, um, especially in Auckland, which has a quite relatively nice terminal, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It. And, and it makes that US business case compared with the London business case where you know, the, 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 the connection from, uh, from London is usually in a relatively pleasant terminal. Um, it's you know, international to international, it's not domestic to international, no change of terminals like at LA. Um, if you can take that part of the market out of it, it'll be really interesting to see how that affects what, what Qantas can do. Um, now, in terms of aircraft, so uh, in, in, the, in the European corner, we have the Airbus A350-1000, and in the US corner, it's the Boeing 7 from the 777X family. Jordan, tell us what the two airframers are proposing here in terms of aircraft. Um, as you say, um, Airbus's offer has been for the A350-1000. They say they've made some um, adjustments, modifications, tweaks, um, depends what language you prefer um, to enable Qantas to meet those two missions. Um, Qantas has said earlier this year that um, when they got both the offers, um, Sydney, New York was able to be flown by both airline, both manufacturers' aircraft with a full payload, um, whereas Sydney, London, um, both ways was a commercial payload. So not a full payload, but they, they reckon they can still make money. Um, and so that, that was the Airbus offer, the A350-1000. And, and Boeing's offer is, um, you know, to use a North American um, parlance, it's complicated because um, they, they have proposed the 777-8X. However, um, that program has been pushed back, the development timetable, to a unspecified future in-service date beyond 2023 when Qantas wants to start these flights. Um, that doesn't rule Boeing out of the contest. Boeing has proposed to Qantas what Qantas has described as an interim solution. Um, we don't know what the interim solution is. It, it could be 777-9Xs that they'll just fly with a restricted payload. It could be current model 777-200LRs, which they'll get at a, one would assume, an enormous discount and fly with a restricted payload um, until the 777-8X comes on board. And... The other complication too is that there have been delays in the certification program of the 777-9X already and how much that influences or impacts both the 9X's timetable and the 8X's timetable means that it's very hard to know um, what Boeing is going to do. And the last thing I'll say is that Qantas has mentioned very recently that they've gone back to Airbus and Boeing to ask them to, quote, sharpen their pencils. I guess they're looking for a better deal than the first and final offers they received earlier this year in August. Um, so 
you know, they're, they're obviously trying to just um, extract every single possible concession or um, dollar out of this um, arrangement that they can. Yeah. I mean, it's what I find really interesting is that we may end up with Project Sunrise for, for JFK but or, or some New York airport, but at this point, probably JFK, um, but maybe not for London. So looking at the Great Circle Mapper website, which is one of my personal favourite bookmarks, um, JFK comes in at 8,846 nautical miles, whereas Heathrow is basically 500 nautical miles further on at 9,188. Um, that extra 500 miles, of course, um, is, to, to quote the uh, proclaimers, um, uh, uh, quite, a, quite a long way to, to walk, uh, if necessary. Um, and that's, I think, look, fortunately, this is not a um, safety issue in, uh, to London in the way that it would be over the, um, over the Pacific, right? There are numerous places you can divert in either direction in, in the event that, that the fuel is, is, is running below minimums. Um, not quite so much of JFK, of course, um, although uh, I'm sure that you remember when Qantas had a few uh, stops of its A380 service to Dallas in, in Nandi in Fiji to, to top up the tanks before they figured out the, the winds and the payloads and how that all worked together. Um, I find the Airbus proposal really interesting. Um, as you say, they basically say, that, yeah, we've, we've, we've tweaked the a three fifty one thousand. Um, that's a, a mixture of um, initial estimates for for all of the performance being a little bit conservative. It's a mixture of you know making the aircraft lighter in service as as airframes will always do. But what it isn't is an A three fifty one thousand ULR, um, and I think that was quite surprising, certainly in terms of their initial proposal. Um, now Airbus, of course, can come back with the ULR, which is essentially a couple of extra fuel tanks replacing some of the cargo capacity, um, which Qantas probably wouldn't need in any case. So that's I don't think that'll be a deal breaker for them. Um, but this Boeing interim question is is very interesting. Um, you know, obviously the the triple seven two hundred LR wasn't compelling enough for Qantas as an interim option. Um, the yeah the triple seven nine x if indeed well probably when indeed it's certified I mean we've um heard this week that in addition to the door blowing off um which seems a little bit Italian job to me um but in addition to the to the door blowing off during that press pressurization test there were also there was also some fuselage cracking um now in in a normal year in a normal decade um we would expect that the certification of that to then be relatively swift and relatively easy, um, they would demonstrate how they would fix the fuselage cracking and would not be required to, uh, to retest. But of course, this is in the context of the 737 MAX, global concern about the certification process carried out by Boeing and of course by the FAA. Will other regulators say, actually, no, we, we want you to recertify and, and retry this uh, pressurization testing? Because they got up to, I believe, 99% of the test threshold and then it failed. So will they need to sacrifice another airframe as a result? That's a, it's, an, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah. Well, not, not to mention the engines too. I mean, the, uh, Right, the, the engines aren't yet working. Yeah. yeah. The, the, <laughs> I mean, GE has made some fixes and some mods and modifications and you know, those, those engines are being you know, attached to the airframe and, and put through some of the, the testing, but you know, we, we have to wait and see on, on that one as well. So it, it th there are a few moving parts on the Triple Seven X program. Yeah. And of course, with it being a much less mature program than the A350, there are 
equally questions about whether or not it will be certified to the uh, same ETOPS level um, when Qantas want and need it to be. Um, you know, again, that's not a huge problem for the London routes, but it is indeed for, for New York. Um, you know, Qantas has for, for many years operated four-engined aircraft, including its 747s, um, for, for ETOPS reasons. And that's something I think that the, the airline is, is, still, um, is still focused on. A little bit more widely, though, Qantas has been, has, has faced, is it an obsession? Is it a mindset? The end of the line. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What's, what's, what's driving Qantas in that way? I think if you look at, say, um, the Qantas network, you know, it's always been reasonably strong in North America because it's a strong point-to-point with, with fewer um, midpoint competitors. Um, Europe has, you know, traditionally been a, a very competitive um, market with very, very many midpoint carriers offering competition and, you know, wider network choices. Um, and so I guess, you know, if, if Qantas wanted to serve 10 European destinations, it would need, you know, 10 wide body long haul um, routes and that requires maybe 30 aircraft. It's just economics is very difficult. Um, so they've had to partner, you know, Emirates and various others. Um, so I guess the end of the line thing is just that, um, you know, Qantas has had to rely on a very strong home market um, and, you know, brand recognition in, in, in your overseas markets or foreign markets. It's a lot harder. All the airlines, I guess, face similar situations. They're, they're not a huge number of kind of global airline brands out there. Um, but they've sought to change that. They've sought to kind of work out that if we can overfly hubs, um, we can target these um, key destinations. Qantas is never going to fly to 30 destinations in Europe and 25 destinations in North America. Um, but if we can target the markets with the specifically high, highest number of, air, of passengers, for example, you know, with Europe, it, Australians going to Europe, it's, it's London first, daylight second, and, you know, the, the continent of Europe kind of third, but still a very distant third. So London makes obvious sense. Um, and that means they can aggregate passengers in Australia, get them into Sydney or Melbourne or Perth, as the case now, and then take them off to where they need to go. Um, therefore, keeping more of that um, market for Qantas rather than, you know, flying a one-stop carrier. I guess that's sort of the attitude um, with, with regards to the end of the line. But, you know, um, the markets are changing in the sense of like, um, you know, there's a lot more O&D traffic between Australia and various points in Asia. And Qantas plays well in that. You know, it's got good product. It's got good... Um, frequency to, to a, a number of Asian destinations and and from various points in Australia. So I guess that's kind of the, from an outsider's point of view, that kind of looks at the evolution of the network is, you know, we want to fly to places that people want to go and we want to be able to um, ensure that they fly to where they need to go from Australia and mm-hmm. therefore on a Qantas aeroplane. Yeah. I mean, this, this Perth question is really interesting as well. Um, obviously, they're doing the, the Perth-London right now um, and they have plans, aspirations to do uh, essentially at least Paris and Frankfurt in addition, right? Um, 
Now, this is as part of what... Oh, sorry, that the noise overhead is probably not a Qantas 787. It's probably an older aircraft taking off from Sydney. Um, they're doing what, what the, this sort of long-haul U strategy, right, where they fly an aircraft um, from Europe to Perth. Um, they connect there on, a, on either that same aircraft or something very similar to it um, to the east of, of Australia. So um, the 787 that goes from uh, London to Perth continues on to Melbourne, for example, as the Qantas Melbourne-London aircraft, right? They use the slot that they had for an A380 via Dubai um, for the 787 now via Perth. Um, and uh, for, for its part, that aircraft then continues on to LA from Melbourne um, and uh, tracking a, a couple of them. Sometimes they then go back to Brisbane for a quick return to LA before going on to New York as that now one-stop hop from LA to New York. Um, I think the as I understand it, and, and, and do, do let me know if this, is, is, uh, this has changed, but the last time that I spoke with Quant's executives, their plan was to do a number of these U-shaped um, uh, service patterns, which maximises the utilisation of the aircraft. Um, so you would go, I don't know, um, Paris uh, to uh, Perth to Brisbane to Chicago, say, on their new, on their new Chicago route. Um, that sort of, uh, of destination. How, how does that fit into this sort of wider thought about, um, about Sunrise and about then uh, using these partner hubs like Americans Hub in Chicago, Americans Hub in Dallas, um, to, to concentrate the international traffic and, of course, their domestic hubs to concentrate the domestic traffic? I think... When you look at, say, the Sunrise flights, say, Sydney, Melbourne to London and New York, um, the, the, those, that city pair has a high number of passengers every day, right? Um, and, you know, you're, you're using um, the, the huge number of OND passengers makes that route um, an attractive one to start non-stop flights on. Yes, there'll be feeding, you know, the, there'll be other markers that within Australia that you can you can put passengers on um but but you know with with Perth for example that while quite a number of passengers are on the Perth London flight that it's also a very good connecting hub so I think it's just a question of like just balancing you know where the sources of bigger sources of traffic are which is the most convenient way to sort of flow them through um you know if you're in Adelaide does it make sense to just fly one one hour to Melbourne and then you know go off to London um, if Project Sunrise goes ahead? You know if 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 you're in um, if you're in Kalgoorlie, obviously you just take the short hop to Perth. So I think mm -hmm. just having um, th these sort of options um, means that they can just sort of manage the traffic, right? Um, in terms of the passenger and where the demands are, uh, I think in terms of the um, the aircraft, though, uh, I'd say that um, yeah, the, the this U shape is 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 very um, efficient, and I think that's why when they announced in um, two thousand and seventeen that they that the a the seven four seven would would end in twenty twenty, that they would replace I think what was it ten or twelve seven four sevens with six seven eight sevens, so. I, but but with the more Qantas says with the more efficient flying pattern and the longer maintenance intervals and stuff the the capacity um, 
is sort of not going to be that much affected by having four fewer aircraft just because they're going to be doing more flying. Um, and, and I think, so, so I think that that's, you kind of tell that, that, you know, it's, it's not going to be these big aircraft that are going to do these routes. It's going to be, um, you know, medium sized aircraft that have the capacity to do a lot of flying and get passengers where they need to go, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I find it really interesting how much more premium focused Qantas's recent um, uh, aircraft configurations have been, particularly for their long haul aircraft. So, you know, the amount of business class and premium economy on the 787s, for example, um, is is quite striking. And I think this is a trend that a lot of airlines are, are replicating. I mean, not necessarily to the extent that United is with its 767s, which are almost entirely premium. There's only 100 economy seats down the back, which seems... You know, it seems crazy you think, when you think about it. Um, but yet, on board, Qantas is doing a lot of interesting research as well. So they've been working with some academics in Sydney um, to develop uh, some, some scientific knowledge about what long-haul flying is like. And they've been doing these two research flights so far, uh, one from New York to Sydney and one from London, which has just landed, in fact. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. What does Qantas hope to achieve with these research flights? I think there, there are two aspects to, I think, the research. Uh, the first one on the passenger side, um, you know, they're, they're monitoring the passenger's well-being and they're asking them to fill out, you know, diaries. And, and also um, they've been putting through some, I guess, what you'd call alternative um, uh, meal service delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff is kind of um, interesting. Um, but but the the other the other side is the pilots. I think the the, the Qantas wants to know, say, if you are a Qantas pilot and you're rostered to do these flights, you know, potentially you would fly. You you might operate Sydney to Los Angeles, have your scheduled rest, operate Los Angeles to New York, have your scheduled rest, and then New York to Sydney nonstop. And so you know, it's it's not just that flight itself. It's like how is your body after, you know, these long haul operations um, to get to New York or London and fly home? Uh, so they've, you know, had um, researchers um, monitoring the pilot's well-being and the cabin crew to just to be for completeness. Uh, and, and I think all that information about the pilots goes into the, you know, the pilot's union in terms of fatigue risk management and also goes to the regulator. Because the the regulator has to approve an extension of duty time to enable these flights to go ahead. So so you know what while um, those of us who turn on our televisions and see passengers doing the macarena in the aisle doing <laughs> during these two yeah. research flights may kind of you know wonder as to how much of the research is actually being done. I I, I think you know definitely on the pilot side. Um, the pilots union, the pilots themselves and the regulator are very interested in in what impact these flights have um, before they can agree to extend the duty time. Um, because, you know, while Perth, London is a long sector, it's, I think, um, 16, 17 hours. These will be 19 hour legs. And when you include the sign on and sign off, you know, they're 21, 22 hours, um, you know, in the northern hemisphere, the winters can be rather um, extreme, and you know you really want your 
pilots to be at peak performance when they're landing in Heathrow or JFK, you know, early in the morning at a very busy time after, you know, being on the flight for mm-hmm. 18 hours. So, in the snow and the ice. and Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, I, I, I think that um, particularly on the pilot side, the, I think the data will be, um, you know, very closely looked at. Yeah. And there's one more flight to come um, in the middle of next month, December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so more than just research into how much PR they can milk out of getting the, the, the TV journalists on the, on the plane and, and, as you say, doing the Macarena in the famous Pontus PJs. Um, look, and I, I find this really interesting because they're obviously pushing these boundaries of flight length, right? I mean, Singapore Airlines does something similar already, but that's a dedicated aircraft um, and it's a, a simple out and back um, to uh, to New York and to LA on the on the A three fifty nine hundred ULR, um, and so they've they've got some data on on that level of flight, but this is this continues onwards, you know, another 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 hour or so, um, and and yes, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see how um, how they're uh, how they're looking at that, um, and uh, if I can recommend to listeners, there's an excellent episode of the uh, Flight Radar twenty four Av Talk podcast where they talked to Qantas's 787 fleet captain, and she was saying some fascinating things about what exactly they're looking at in terms of, um, of that pilot fatigue management um, and in terms of, you know, what, what can you roster? Um, you know, uh, how many pilots are you going to need on this aircraft? You know, is it, is, it, is it three, is it four, is it five, is it six? Um, that, gets, that gets really interesting. And, and do you need to modify the crew rest areas given the nature of these services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of questions. Yeah. Now, one thing we're unlikely to see is a lot of the uh, big blue sky thinking in terms of passenger experience. So I don't think we're going to be seeing any gyms uh, in the cargo zone, unfortunately. Um, it doesn't seem like we're going to be getting uh, the uh, the underfloor bunks that that were were, were proposed by um, by Saffron and by Airbus um, for the, for the uh, 8250 family. Qantas has been saying that they want to have new passenger experience, so new seats in all cabins of the aircraft. And that strikes me as an interesting choice. Um, its present Thompson Vantage XL seat would be on its fourth generation if installed onto these aircraft. So it debuted on the A330 fleet, then moved into the 787 as a second generation, recently appeared on the A380 refurbishment as a third generation, and whenever that happens, of course, the seat becomes probably a little bit lighter, a little bit more efficient, it's a little bit more space efficient as well. Um, and it would seem to me to be sensible to um, to continue that perhaps onto a fourth generation here. Um, now, with these wider aircraft, that would be the widest implementation of this product yet, which would mean that they could use something like the Vantage XL Plus, um, better known or best known at present as the, the Delta One suite, um, uh, but also seen on uh, the 787s of, uh, I believe, Shanghai Airlines. Um, and I find this very interesting in terms of what Qantas is saying, is that they're saying they want new seats. But do they? Are new seats needed, do you think? Do you think that they're going to... Are people dissatisfied with the present seat or are people happy in business class? You know, I, I think with, with, with business class, um, the, the shelf life of a seat, or I guess the, the, the lifespan, life cycle of a seat seems to be getting shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's because customers continue to want innovation or 
airlines are continually looking at other airlines launching new products that causes them to think that they need to to get a new seat it's it's hard to say but you know um the the seats are not old the design anyway um and i think while there were some you know initial kind of oh i'm not quite comfortable on this seat because it's new i think people have come to accept that Qantas has put out a product that i i think stacks up reasonably well against its main competitors um and you know the a fourth iteration um will yield some improvement as you say uh whether they think it's worthwhile investing the capital and it's going to be a lot of money to re- to design a new seat and and whether they think that that redesign that new seat will yield the kind of step change in passenger experience it's a really tough one i mean you know um people now yawn when a new apple iphone comes out because the 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 increments the improvements are so incremental there's no revolutionary new design every year um which is unrealistic to expect but i guess in the world of passenger experience and airline products um because these life cycles have become so short maybe airlines sometimes feel implied pressure to come up with something new and whether that in the, whether that's the case for Qantas or not I'm not sure but you know I guess these are some of the factors that will go into the considerations um I think if you think about you know um some airlines have a business class seat that that lasted 10 or 11 years and aged really well mm-hmm. um and but but some after 2 or 3 years you just look at it and you go well it didn't quite have that durability or the endurance mm-hmm. of another product I I think Qantas seat is still too new to sort of make that call. Um and and so which I guess inherently makes that call for you, right? Um if if you're not if there's not a clamor in Australia of no no we need a new seat, right? I, mean, I remember when when Qantas first introduced this seat everyone was very much finished with the sky beds, right? That sort of 222 layout on the A3 uh, on the A380 and indeed on the A330. People people were kind of done with that, right? People yeah. needed direct aisle access at that point. Um, and I'm I'm just not sure, given the, um, you know, I've flown the Q Suite, I've flown the British Airways, um, uh, Rockwell Collins, or sorry, Collins Aerospace Diamond with a door. Um, I'm just not sure it adds enough for 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 me if I'm wanting to say no, we we need a new seat versus look what can we do with this Thompson product, which is an existing Thompson product. Um, in terms of just adding a door, because one of the problems with with the Qantas product and most staggered seats is what I call the zero sum problem. Right, half the seats on the other side of an aisle, uh, on the other side of the aisle from uh, a uh, side table, which is also the foot cubby of the passengers who are closest to the aisle, which inherently makes just under fifty percent of the seats in the cabin more private and less prone to disturbance from brushing past by crew, passengers, trolleys, etc. Add a door, and that zero-sum problem diminishes substantially. If you add some other form of privacy option, um, a, a curtain, uh, some, you know, uh, 
Uh, Saffron seems to have the um, flexible divider sewn up for their products. But you know, what, what are the options that, that, that Thompson could think of there? Um, yeah, I, I can't see that Qantas is, has to be feeling under huge amounts of pressure to refurbish its seats, particularly not on the, um, on the London route and on the New York route. Certainly on the New York route, I don't think there's, there's not that pressure um, at this point, partly because the good passenger experience is on the long haul part of it, but then there's some relatively iffy passenger experience on the short haul. Um, on London, kind of, look, if you're happy to make a connection and you want to fly Q suites all the way, you're welcome to do that. Indeed, Qantas are one world partners, um, if slightly reluctantly at times, it seems, with, with Qantas, uh, with, with Qatar Airways. Um, and, you know, there have always been other options on that route, both in terms of, you know, do you want it cheap and you're happy to fly on, let's say, China Southern over, over Guangzhou? Um, do you want uh, a, a sterling soft product while Singapore Airlines over, over Changi is your option? Um, are you happy with the Emirates proposal? You know, there's any number of, do you for some strange reason like British Airways? Uh, <laughs> speaking of seats that went on rather too long. Um, and, and I think that will all, um, that will wrap up. And it's, I think it's to an extent the same down the back. Um, certainly that premium economy seat that they, that they launched, I wouldn't be surprised to see that evolve, um, including evolving away. Um, I think that there may well be other seats that are, um, are superior to that for this length of, of travel. Um, and in economy, I don't think they can do much better than the Recaro that they presently have. Um, you know, that's... Well, the, um, the Recaro economy seat has been the seat of choice for so many full-service premium airlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you say, you know, unless you're willing to do something that would require you to raise your fares in economy... That's as, that's probably the baseline, you know, where it sits at the moment with your economy. I think um, it's very hard to get passengers to pay more for incremental improvements. Mm-hmm. I, I guess um, it's an education process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, hey, at the end of the day, even if Qantas turns around and says, you know what, sorry, we couldn't get the planes to do it, the amount of PR that they have got out of Project Sunrise makes it inherently a success, whatever happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the centenary year for Qantas next year. It turns yeah. 100. Um, and, you know, whether it does go ahead with Project Sunrise or not, um, there's going to be a lot of um, focus on the airline next year. And the airline has talked about previously that Project Sunrise is just one of a number of fleet decisions it has to make. It has to think about where it renews its narrowbody fleet, um, what's going to happen with... Um, you know, if Boeing chooses to launch a, a new mid-market aircraft or Airbus chooses to launch a new mid-market aircraft, that could have implications for the 330 fleet. Um, the 747s are retired, retiring and the A380s are all getting refurbished and, you know, everyone will say goodbye to Skybed Mark II. Um, few tiers, I would expect. But so, I mean, there's like huge fleet decisions coming up. Um in addition to the regional fleet too. So, you know, Project Sunrise is just one aspect of it. And I'm sure they want it to work. And I'm sure that they, they would be um, doing everything they can to, to, to make a yes as the answer. But, uh, you know, th- there are a lot of challenges in the way and, and we don't know what they're going to do yet. I mean, they already have said, slightly shifted the language from, you know, make the decision, make an order by the end of 
calendar 2019 to make a decision in 2019 with a view to placing an order in 2020. So I guess the, the, the timetable is shifting slightly, perhaps to try to give them more time to, to make it work. Yeah, um, and indeed potentially to to see you know what the landscape looks like in in six months at, at say the farmer air show, um, so that would be that would be, be interesting to, to to keep watching. Um, well, look, that's a that's an interesting place to end today's conversation, uh, listeners. We hope you enjoyed it, and of course, we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork dot com with any suggestions. Thanks to our guest Jordan Chong. Jordan, where can folks continue the conversation with you online? Well, if anyone wants to continue the conversation online, they can look for me on LinkedIn. My name is Jordan Chong and just search Jordan Chong in Aviation. Sweet. And as ever, you can find me on Twitter at ThatJohn and everything from RGN on Twitter at RunwayGirl and at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please do leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.